Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can find at CinematicMultiverse.com. I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... James Hunt. And Matt Looker. Um, yes, yeah, so for today's podcast, we are thrilled to be joined by Matt, um, who we've actually been trying to get on um, on the show as a guest for ages, but his schedule's always been busy when we wanted a guest, but um, last minute today I sent out a message, who, who can come and talk Doctor Strange with us? And... Yeah, I was sitting at home twiddling my thumbs like I do every day, being like, yeah, go on then, fine. But appropriately, Matt, <laughs> this was the podcast that you could find the time for. Yes, the time. that's true. Time. Oh, I see, like a theme. See, see what I did there? That's clever. It's important, guys. Going to be talking about it. But Matt, <laughs> do you want to know? The, let the listeners know a little bit more about you. Uh, sure, yeah. Um, so, Matt Looker, uh, by day, I am the uh, editor of virginmedia.com. Uh, that's my day job. And in my evening... Uh, by night, I am a writer for Total Film Magazine and SFX Magazine. And if I have any time after that, I co-run a blog called The Shiznit. Um, but there seems to be less and less time to do that now. Sorry, guys. <laughs> you're like Barry Allen. By day, you're an ordinary yeah. site editor. But by night... <laughs> Unfortunately, I can't do anything as quickly as him. So basically, I try and fit everything into... I, I don't get any sleep, basically. Um, okay, well, um, so yeah, this week we are going to be talking about Scott Derrickson's 2016 film, Doctor Strange. Um, so this is one of our new release podcasts. So what we're going to do is skip past the latest comic book movie and TV news. Um, but you should have just heard a minisode, I'm hoping, that I haven't recorded yet. But hopefully you will already have listened to by the time you're listening to this. And that's going to have all the news in there. Um, instead, on this podcast, we're going to dive into a spoiler-free discussion of Doctor Strange, um, and then we'll clearly fa- flag when that section ends and move into a spoiler-filled chat, which will be just like our usual chats on all the other podcasts. But before any of that, I'm going to ask James to explain a comic book concept that, as a movie fan, I just don't understand. And James, this week... Um, this was something that came up while I was Googling around about Doctor Strange. I was thinking, um, okay, I've just seen that movie. Who might be popping up in future Doctor Strange movies? And I came across um, a character a number of times called Clea. So yeah. who is she? And is she a likely candidate for the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Um, maybe in Doctor Strange 2? Yeah, I mean, I was sort of surprised she didn't show up in this one, to be honest. 
She's that major, is she? Yeah, like she. If you're doing a kind of love interest with Doctor Strange, she's the obvious choice. On the other hand, her relationship to him is that she's a. She was like his student who became his sort of love interest. So, at the same time, I can see why they wouldn't do that. Like they could have done a version of her, maybe. But you know, th- this film doesn't feel like it has a lot of time for the romantic subplot. So in the comics, then is 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 um, strange uh, Lothario type figure, if, you know, pre powers. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, there are interpretations of him that paint him that way. Because I, I just um, I had to watch the 1978 TV movie a couple of days ago, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago to um, uh, to to review it. And they really play out that side of it. He is he is <laughs> we, one sexy, mustachioed man. Yeah. yeah, we've got that to look forward to. <laughs> Back to Clea, James. Is, 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 so she's magical as well? Yeah, like, like I say, she was a student. Uh, she sort of... I think she ended up disappearing into the dark dimension or something. Like, she... You know, they fell out, basically, and she disappeared for a long time. But, I mean, she was created by Lee and Ditko, so she's been there, you know, since early days. She's the kind of character who will turn up a lot, sort of, you know, like they cycle characters in and out, but eventually they all come back. I'll be, I'll be very surprised if Clea doesn't come back, if she hasn't already, indeed. What, in current Marvel comics? Yeah, like in, there's that new Sorcerer's Supreme comic, I would be very surprised if she doesn't turn up there. Ah, okay. Um, well, I've been very much enjoying the kind of recent Doctor Strange post um, the Marvel relaunch a year ago. Um uh, a very different Doctor Strange to the one in this movie because he is long established. Um, but I guess we'll get we'll get more into that in a second. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe we can look forward to Clear in the sequel. And I guess, given that there's no news, we might as well just get into it now. So let's launch straight into our spoiler-free discussion of Doctor Strange. And. Um, I think probably the best way to do this, we're not going to go into specifics here, but I think probably the best way to do this is to go around one at a time and maybe in the context of recent superhero movies, superhero movies from this year, um, recent Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, whereabouts does it rank for you, um, Matt? We'll, come, we'll, we'll go to the guest first. Where where does this <laughs> sit in your kind of superhero pantheon right now? Straight under you're the too bus. Kind. <laughs> you're too kind. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, the Marvel cinematic ranking things for me, um, I, I really don't, I, I never stick to a, a strict list. Um, I, you know, there are, there are some really, I, there are some ones that I really love. I never actually have written them out in full. This would be very much sit um, in the sort of just above the middle, I think for me. Um, I really enjoyed the film. Uh I I thought it was a lot of fun. I just I found that some of the rules that it tried to depict within the film didn't quite work for me. Um, so it was it was a lot of fun. It was it's just very light and fluffy. It's entertainment, it, and it was a nice um, uh, antidote after Civil War uh, and how heavy and hard hitting that was. But this, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I didn't. I, I, I feel it was a little bit more lukewarm in it than everyone else seems to be. So, just to put that in a bit of context, then maybe for our listeners, uh, from the other superhero movies this year, we had what? So, Civil War, you mentioned Deadpool, Batman v Superman, X Men Apocalypse. Where where does it sit for you in that kind of? Or or were there any of those that you particularly really liked? I wasn't too sold on Civil War. Uh, And uh, Deadpool, I found a little bit too glib. 
Um, uh, didn't I mean it, again? It was fun, but uh, I couldn't really get my did my claws into it too much. And um, Batman vs Superman was just uh, an abomination. And uh, <laughs> X Men Apocalypse, I might even say, was even worse. So, um, so yeah, it's probably it's, you know it's probably the the best superhero film uh, this released this year for me. But that's not saying much. We all know it's been a bit of a tough year. <laughs> so then, so Matt is saying best superhero movie of the year. But also, he likes it less than most people seem to have. Um, James, are you are you on a similar level to Matt? More positive, less positive? Is it is it your number one of the year? No, no. I think Civil War has to be my number one of the year. I mean, it's tough. This it's not going to trouble my top five Marvel movies. I'll say that much. Uh, for this year, I think maybe I enjoyed Deadpool more because it was sort of a bit more interesting in what it was doing. Like this, this just felt like a very competent Marvel movie. Not even a very competent, a mostly competent Marvel movie. Like I would put it around the sort of ant. Like it's not down there with the really bad Marvel movies. It's no, it's no like Iron Man two slash Thor two. But at the same time. It's not, it's not doing anything that really excites me. Like it's it's Ant Man, but I'm less enthusiastic about it. Sure, I think that's that's pretty much exactly how I feel about it too. Ant Man is yeah. the closest so like, companion. Yeah. So like, again, this year, like this year has been a bad year for superhero movies. So, you know, it's probably second or third in my overall rankings, but that doesn't, you know, that's damning it with faint praise, really. Well, guys, let you let me tell you about my Doctor Strange love. Um, <laughs> because I, I absolutely adored this movie and um, came out of it as excited as I can remember being from any superhero movie since maybe the Avengers. Like the and I I, I came out of it kind of I went with my um, my wife and uh, my wife and we uh, <laughs> we just spent the entire like journey home as as we do from a lot of movies but this time it was me being more excited just telling her all the things that I liked about it and um, it got me excited for the Marvel Cinematic Universe it got me excited in terms of the stuff that it was doing um, within the movie um, the the kind of ways that I felt like it 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 had um, excelled within the Marvel template and managed to break down a couple of the things that had held previous Marvel movies back in terms of that template. Um, and uh, yeah, it's kind of I, I, I like I say I can't remember coming out of a Marvel movie this excited since the Avengers, which is my favorite Marvel movie. And I, I, I don't think it's like the most fun because like guardians of the galaxy is probably the most fun. Um, and, and, but it just, it, it did so many good things I felt. And I was really impressed with the filmmaking and the way that the story all came together and the character arcs and the way that, um, and, and some of the things that just felt different about this than other superhero movies. And, um, for me, this kind of was, it's its what I want in a summer blockbuster. And I know this is a very late summer blockbuster, but it, it just takes all the boxes <laughs> for me. And um, I can't believe that not everyone is, is, is as excited about it as I am. So um, I am willing to accept um, that I am going to um, say how excited about I was about things. And then you two guys are going to go, yeah, but that just seemed fine to me. 
because I know that you're not like neither of you hate the movie, but um, yeah, we're going to come across yeah, the bad think, guys here, and I, I think you know if I can speak, you know, I don't want to speak for you, James, but uh, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I'm I'm so impressed with um, the visuals, the fact that Marvel um, went in such mm. a different direction at a point when everyone's complaining about comic book uh, films looking and feeling like the same, particularly Marvel's being very Marvel movies, particularly mm. being very formulaic. Um, this completely breaks that mold, uh, and I think that is uh, a, a huge accomplishment for for them to do that and for it to still feel part of the same universe. You could have taken out a couple of references, couldn't you? And it could have felt like it could have stood alone. Like it does feel like it feels like a natural fit for the MCU, but it does it has enough separate that you could say it's not an MCU movie. Absolutely, I mean there there are so I mean it almost feels like the the, the ties that they do have with um, the rest of the MCU feel almost shoehorned in, right? There's no need for there to actually be, you know, it's almost like every now and again someone uh, reading the scripts for oh we better make sure that people remember this is part of the Avengers guys. <laughs> it's interesting a lot less so though than Ant-Man and Ant-Man was a film that it's especially in the last couple of weeks leading up to the movie seemed like its entire marketing campaign was um hey guys this is an Avengers movie so they or it's an Avengers related movie so they spoiled the Falcon cameo in a trailer and they had the posters with Ant-Man stood on like the Captain America shield or the Iron Man helmet um, whereas this film has, has kind of played it all down and um, I hope it's not too much of a spoiler to say there isn't any like huge big cameos in the middle of the movie that like like there are in Ant-Man. There's no big set pieces set around the rest of the Marvel Universe. Um, and, and yeah, you're right. It, it is kind of one of those that occasionally when there is a reference to something else in the MCU, you get, it's like, a oh yeah, yeah, this is this is related to all that stuff. I, like I'm you know I'm fine with not having many references like I would have almost preferred that they took out the ones that were in there because they were like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. style like huge clanging references that you could not have missed there was one where... that I liked there was one subtle one that I liked but that was it uh, yeah the the phone call yes yeah like yeah that's okay that's Oh well, well that's we'll, a little Easter we'll egg. We'll get to we'll get to but... that straight away in our spoiler discussion then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a little Easter egg. It was things like the visuals <clears throat> and the the clanging reference at the end. Uh, I I the wrong makes you know the, the one at the end was it was clanging, but I also felt kind of like it might it might have been necessary given what we're building towards. <laughs> because it's it's very obvious to probably us, but might not be obvious to your casual yeah, I mean, cinema goer. I think just sort of generally, there were lots of bits in this film where I felt like there's they just basically halted the film to do a reference or crack a joke. Mm. It just, it like it didn't feel as organic to me as it might have if they'd sort of let it be its own thing instead of being like, oh, this is a Marvel thing, so humour and references. That was one of the two. So I think, uh, I mean, regular listeners will know that I was a little bit sceptical about Doctor Strange based on the marketing, um, that I was left unconvinced by the visuals. And let me just say that I have been thoroughly proved wrong there. 
Um, uh, but the other one was on the kind of shoehorned humour, the Wi-Fi gag in the trailer. It felt like you had this entire trailer that was trying to set a slightly different tone from the MCU and then uh, and a punchline at the end. And weirdly, that Wi-Fi joke in the in the film itself is one of the least clunking um, pause for a gag moments. Most of yeah. the jokes are, there's a couple that work, but most of them, I agree, I was kind of like, you don't need this. Um, like, I, I remember Captain America the Winter Soldier didn't lead on the jokes as heavily as other films. I remember being outside the screening and people going, I was expecting it to be a bit funnier, like the, the last two or three that they'd made. And I was like, no, it's fine. They don't all need to be funny. Um, and this was one that I really felt didn't. They they really have to pack so much in. I mean, I, I'm not really familiar with Doctor Strange on the page, but it feels like you're really trying to pack in pack in a lot of information about what this character can do with his powers. Um, and you know, when you're dealing with uh, time travel and interdimensional travel and portals and um, space and dimensions and things. Um, and as well as that, a lot of lengthy, unmemorable names for artifacts and characters. It feels like the best way to ground it is to try to uh, make it as funny as possible, which I think they did a really good job of, because actually um, there was a, there's a lot of humour running all the way through it. But yes, yeah, some of the takes they chose to go with, I think, there, there's I, I, there's a couple of uh, moments in particular that I feel like you... You you clearly had a few takes to choose from. You chose in this one because it probably suited the pacing of the scene better, but it just meant that it was a bit clunky. Yeah, there's there's definitely, and, I, and I'm not sure that Benedict Cumberbatch is the most um, adept comedic actor. I said this again and again. I think he kind of does one thing very well, or it, there's like a there's a spectrum of characters that he can play, and Doctor Strange definitely is on that spectrum. Um, <laughs> uh, as opposed to um, some of his other performances, which are so ticky that they feel like they are on the spectrum, and this is <laughs> this this I feel like it, he's it, he acquits himself fine. Like um, th- there's a lot of Marvel movies that you walk out going, oh, uh, Chris Pratt, Paul Rudd, amazing. They're instantly that character. Um, Robert Downey Jr.'s blown the doors off this. Um, Chris Evans is perfect. Steve Rogers. Uh, d- Cumberbatch is fine, um, but that was almost what was more impressive to me about. I walked out of this film loving it uh, without completely falling in love with the title character. It was more that the movie stood on its own feet rather than being carried along on this cult of personality, which I think sometimes can be the case, especially with Marvel. Marvel, you know, that's that's why the villains so often get overshadowed is because the the heroes are so charismatic. Um, so weirdly what I'm saying I mean, is the hero is not as good but that made it better for me <laughs> he is like he is the worst thing about the cast like it's a really good cast oh yeah yeah but he's he it, yeah it, well, it doesn't feel like he's pulling his weight I don't know I, I you know I, it's interesting you saying about how Benedict Cumberbatch um, yeah, yeah, is, is fine as a comedic actor in this film uh, the the moment I was thinking of uh, that felt really clunky for me is this one funny exchange between him and Mads Mikkelsen. And I feel like if you've got Benedict Cumberbatch, who's not really really known for his comedy chops, trying to be funny opposite Mads Mikkelsen, who even less so, um, then, then that's what's going on. I, I think he... That was the one I liked the best <laughs> of the comedic of the comedic scenes. That was the one the 
the Mr. Doctor stuff. That I was, felt like that was there was the a funny like version of that in the, in the can. And, and because <laughs> I can imagine how that is funny. That would be funny, given the right performance. But at the time, it just came across as... I just liked Mads Mikkelsen's deadpanning of it. Yeah, but I feel like his deadpanning is just him. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that is. I think that is just him being funny. I don't. You know, that's. I think that's he just funny. likes the idea of giving Mads Mikkelsen jokes. <laughs> Swear to me, because like, I love that guy. He is a fantastic actor. Um, and I, 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 not someone that you want to carry. I think the the punchline uh, necessarily. I don't know. I, I, I yeah. it didn't work for me at all that exchange, and it, it, it even less when he's playing a character that he's is so um, in in the grand tradition of um unmemorable marvel villains <laughs> completely um straight-faced and unexpression you know uh, no expression at all throughout the whole film trying to get yeah. him to land a punchline was just um nightmare it was the wong stuff that um that most most of the jokes with wong that i struggled with um because Again, it was placing all of the comedic weight on Cumberbatch, and I, I didn't feel like he could really carry it. Um, what I did want to mention, though, I mean, uh, Matt, you you were talking a minute ago about all the stuff that it kind of the movie feels like it has to stuff in early on in terms of comic book origin. And what I was really surprised by, and this is something where I feel like it deviated from what Marvel has tended to lean on before. Um, I was stunned that this movie didn't begin in media res and then flash back to like pre Doctor Strange and so like we meet him and maybe he's training and then we flash back um and you know he's in the hospital and we see who he is before because if you uh, at phase 1 of Marvel uh, so many of those start with kind of um so I think um Iron Man starts and then flashes back um there are flashbacks at the start of Iron Man 2 to other stuff I mean, there's not many Marvel films that don't start with a flashback. Um, and Thor, Thor, I think, begins in media res. There's quite a lot of them that do. Yeah, whereas this was in, entirely linear. There was an action sequence to kick things off, but it was it was basically occurring just before the next scene. It's interesting because I was thinking that at the time when it was when it was playing out, and um, I kind of half expected that whole action scene when it first starts because it's in like uh, an ancient temple type setting to be revealed to be you know from centuries ago or something, and then mm. they they hit um, modern uh, you know modern city, uh, and you realise that's not the case. Maybe it's down to the, the 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 fact that the whole film plays with time that that would have felt like a needless transition yeah. to make. Yeah. I also wondered whether they were trying to avoid the Batman Begins comparisons because James, you were talking about how you were very concerned that this movie was going to play like Batman Begins for a long stretch, with him going off yeah, to the well, east I mean, to find they, himself. They essentially have the same origin, which is they need to become a superhero, so they go to a mountain in Nepal and train with some, you know, Asian mystics. Yeah, and there is there's one beat in this film that I went, ah, you could have not done that to avoid the. The Batman Begins comparisons, but did you feel like mostly it didn't? It didn't fit. Like it wasn't something that you were thinking about too consciously during the film. I mean, yeah, tonally they they managed to keep them quite distant because Batman Begins is a very serious take on the idea of like going and training and being a monk, and this is not. I thought it was the moment they opened up like the 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 idea of other dimensions and worlds, and suddenly are like, okay, right, this is. 
this is a different thing. This looks and feels different. And that you've got Tilda yeah. Swinton there being so specific that, um, yeah, I was just wrapped up in Tilda, I think. You talked about some of the performances here, finding Cumberbatch the worst thing. Um, Tilda Swinton and Chiwetel Ejiofor are great and delivering the kind of performances that you don't normally see in Marvel movies. Like I saw mm-hmm. a couple of people said it felt like, you know, being at the old Vic <laughs> watching or, or like watching an RSC production or something. Um, but like Tilda, Tilda Swinton, especially like just, it seems like she can do anything mm. and make it like Oscar worthy. Cause every time she was on screen, she's just like magnetic. She genuinely moved me in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, she has the charisma um, to, to make those scenes funny in the same way that you have these sort of, you know, um, uh, ancient Asian mystic roles that uh, you know the trope that happens in films so often that actually they have a, a tend to have a bit of a wry smile and can look at the light-hearted side of things. She has that, and then there are scenes that happen later on that actually really generally feel quite heartbreaking. She carries both of those. I really liked her introduction where she's like very sort of softly spoken and friendly, and you know he's like going, "What's in that tea?" and she's like, "It's just tea," like. It's- it's very sort of grounded and yet talking about like these insane concepts like that you can imagine you know better well you can imagine more popular actors screwing that up like i thought her performance probably top five in the entire mcu if not best like it was just perfect yeah i i thought she was she was pretty incredible and i actually thought mads mickelson was was good with the little that he was given to do. Um, yeah, I guess, I, I mean, I guess they're the three really, um, that, that I would pick out. Um, Rachel McAdams less so, but I mean, she is given so, so little to do. Um, yeah, I should correct myself there. Not that Rachel McAdams is not great because she usually is. It's just, and she and it's it, it's not like she feels disinterested. She feels like she's inhabiting that character. And there was a couple of fun little moments with her, but yeah, the <laughs> the character seems so superfluous. And James, I think you said something in your Den of Geek review along the lines of it felt like borderline toxic that this character still exists in a Marvel movie. Yeah, because like it's like she's from an action movie in the nineties where you had to have some sort of trophy woman to prove that your hero was heterosexual and like he would be rewarded with the like a you know the kiss of some hot woman for saving the day because that's you know well because what's the alternative is a guy who wears capes and has funny facial hair so that's suspiciously (laughs) uh, it's just what a a strange um sort of trope that it's developed just to enforce heterosexuality well, yeah, exactly, and it's like, like I say, it's a toxic portrayal to mm. to treat women in that way, and it's like, it's not like the film was completely dumb because it had Tilda Swinton being like the exact opposite of all of that, but uh, like her role in the film, and this is, I don't want to go too swirly, but her role is to anchor him to his life as a surgeon or whatever. Yeah, and it's like it didn't, doesn't need a human face on that because they already established at the start like he's a like workaholic genius or it at least like, feels like I a believe... waste to use 
Rachel McAdams to do that. Yeah, like I, I believe he's wedded to his work as a surgeon. Like they don't need to be like, oh, also there's a girl in, working next to him that he wants to fuck. Like, not, not, the not, interesting not thing there though is that I think that um, I, I felt like the character of Strange was wedded to his career as a surgeon, but for his own arrogance and not for any um, humanity in the character. And I think that's what Rachel McAdams' um, character is supposed to do there, right? It's supposed to make sure <laughs> that you she... see that character arc by the end of the film and show that actually he's grown as a person and can love another or whatever. Um, but I think that I, I wonder whether or not the casting of Rachel McAdams in these thankless roles, uh, the pe- people like Rachel McAdams in these thankless roles, is, is nervousness on Marvel's part uh, of, of still trying to, to push out a, a film where you know it's still a slightly less known character at the center i i I, you see i i think this is less a marvel problem and more a hollywood problem that every every blockbuster has this kind of character and some of them are even more thankless than what rachel mcadams is doing here but the hollywood problem is if you look at the careers of rachel mcadams and benedict cumberbatch there should be one obvious choice who who has established themselves to the degree the degree that you should be giving them a blockbuster movie and that's Rachel McAdams she should be she should be doing the Brie Larson thing which is getting given Captain Marvel and I was saying to James off mic it seems like a similar thing to what Marvel uh, were doing a few years ago or I felt they were doing anyway which was like okay we'll cast Idris Elba as Elba as Heimdall and you're like well if you'd have thought ahead Marvel Idris Elba's probably a guy that you'd be wanting to cast in like really big meaty lead roles and it's almost like that Hollywood is waking up to that fact with black actors um and you know we've just we've got Black Panther coming we've got um Luke Cage on TV and I think they should be thinking about the same thing with their female actors because Rachel McAdams is someone who could legit she should if she wasn't she should have been a contender for Captain Marvel um and um yeah, um, I feel like maybe I mean these these roles should be there in Hollywood, and hopefully, hopefully, superhero cinema is the way to do it. Because as Marvel are getting down to the tiers of Doctor Strange level characters to lead their movies, then they should also be looking in their rosters for characters who are on a similar level, and hopefully, finding female <laughs> characters like they are doing with Captain Marvel. Um, I'd like to see uh, Rachel McAdams uh, Spider Woman. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, I I don't know. I I would I would yeah I would love to see her doing um, a lot more than she's given to do here. But like I say, I'm I'm kind of willing to not blame Doctor Strange individually for that, and more blame well, Hollywood is, Mar- because we like have Marvel this conversation in- every time. Marvel in general has been quite good about not having these sort of trophy women, like even yeah, because Pepper, the likes of Pepper, Pepper and um, Peggy Carter developed. aren't like that, are they? No, and like. You know, some films don't really have an. Yeah, like even Natalie Portman had more to do than Rachel McAdams. Like the, Did, I think I feel know, like with Rachel know. McAdams as well, they they really um, uh, set her up to be a character who stood by uh, Strange at a time when he was just being a complete dick, <laughs> and yeah. then yeah. had this last minute reprieve for her before he goes on his journey to become, um, you know, the the, the superpower super being that he does. Um, where she basically, um, you know, uh, tells him off and says, you know, you're being a dick and, and walks, walks out just so that they can have that scene where Marvel feel like they have established her as an independent woman. But actually, it doesn't really feel like she's, she earned that in the film because she does 
end up having this sort of uh, traditional female role of standing by the man no matter what he's like yeah she has like she has no arc which is the difference between her and the other marvel women like they might not be well developed either but they have a story for themselves whereas she doesn't yeah and she's complete her character is completely defined by her relationship to him um yeah it's yeah it's it's disappointing, and um, I think it's more conspicuous because they cast Rachel McAdams. And I think that probably what happened was they went, we've only got one female role in our movie, and then, so we kind of have to include it. Um, but yeah, I, I I worry for how they use that character going forward, because there, there doesn't seem like any obvious choices that would be... Um, encouraging based on this film other than just make up some comic booky character for her to step in the roles of, into the shoes of I don't know because I know she's <laughs> supposed to, she's night nurse in the comics isn't she yeah so she is basically she's the what Claire Temple is doing on the Netflix shows the Rosario Dawson character that's based on this character on the page and yeah okay and her and her character's name is night nurse yeah. <laughs> so but she's she's basically the the medic for superheroes. Well, I mean she wasn't always the medic for superheroes. Like as it originally happened, she was like cuz I seem to remember like she was just uh like a nurse and then no, I'm probably I'm not going to say anything cuz I don't really know the history of that character. I just I remember Bendis brought her back as like the Claire Temple sort of type right, okay. character, but I'm not sure what she was doing in the 70s. Because, so. I mean, if that's... I mean, I guess that would give her something to do, but also how interesting is it to just go, Rachel McAdams, okay, you're the one who stands by while all of the... I mean, I guess they could do it in a, in a kind of like a cool Flash kind of way that she's one of the people back at base, like working for the Avengers. I don't know, but yeah, it feels like in terms of a romantic anchor for Stephen Strange, that's not something that I want to particularly explore further down. I just want more for Rachel McAdams, basically. And I would like for Hollywood to stop doing this. <laughs> can I, can I uh, does... raise a point at this point as well, though, um, uh, at this juncture? So going back to Tilda Swinton, um, we all agree that she's basically the best performance in the film. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that is a good example of where Marvel have gender swapped a character or, uh, or you know, um, raised yeah, the profile yeah. of a character um, for a female role in the film. And yet, can we win when that's the casting that brought about the most controversy? Yeah, that's it's difficult, isn't it? Because you want to say, "Yeah, well done, Marvel," and then you go, "Ah, ah okay." But I mean, my my point on that would be like, I think having Scott Der- Scott Derrickson is right when he says if the Ancient One had been Asian and this film was about a white guy coming in learning how to do all the Asian stuff better than the actual Asians that would have been more problematic than swapping a role. Like, the problem with swapping, with race swapping roles is that you deny work to, like, actors of that ethnicity. Mm. And this film doesn't do that because it has them in other roles. Like, it's got Wong in there as well, for example. I, and I would say Wong is the most Wong is the most positive example in that it takes... A character who is Asian on the page, but on the page is Doctor Strange's manservant, and turns him into a meteor role on the screen here, and um, 
you know, kind of like, well, he's he's an equal to Doctor Strange. He is, uh, yeah. He is a peer. I mean, like you, the way to look at it is swapping races is not something you should do lightly, and I don't think Scott Derrickson did it lightly. So I think for all the controversy, it was probably the right decision. I, 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 yeah, I don't disagree. I think it is the right decision. It's just, um, it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, that you know you have to. I think there's always going to be an argument made either way. Um, and I, I wasn't aware, and I don't think it's obvious from someone who isn't familiar with the source material that they've beefed up the wrong role and and tried to, um, you know, uh, make up for this um, race swapping of the ancient one yeah. um, by, mean, by, in other ways, which are much more subtle ways. But in some ways that, that's, that does sort of like help offset the, the problem. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the the problem with being like, I don't want to get all like sniffy and be like, oh, you know, armchair critics, like armchair warriors. But I mean, that's sort of the thing, like, you have to at some point trust that the people in charge are doing their job well. I, I would... And like, it's okay to criticise... But yeah, but I've, I, I and I think to their arguments too. I think if you see some casting stuff that seems questionable, or if you see a movie's being made and you are looking at stuff, or you or you've seen a movie and you go, the way that has uh, whitewashed or the way that that has treated its female characters is a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Get on social media and make a big song and dance about it because the filmmakers, especially the Marvel filmmakers who are so vocal on on social media. You know they're listening. And James Gunn mm-hmm. obviously heard some of the complaints about uh, female representation in the first Guardians of the Galaxy film. And it's not going to undo some of the like the jokes that are made at Gamora's expense in that first movie that are a bit questionable. But if the sequel has more female characters and they are um, better defined, more well-rounded, um, not defined just by the relationships to the blokes around then great. And if this means that Doctor Strange may be in production beefed up Wong's role or in um, in a sequel is going to make a more conscious effort to cast more Asian characters in speaking roles, then great. You know, hopefully it just, you know, it, it's, it's baby steps and it's frustrating how, you know, it takes three or four years for your complaint to see any change. <laughs> but... If it's a legitimate complaint and you've got forward-thinking filmmakers, and I think that the Marvel people have have proved themselves to be moving in the right de- direction, even if it is frustratingly slowly, um, then yeah, then it's a good thing. So keep complaining, that's what I say. <laughs> I will. <laughs> um Keep complaining. Does that seem like a good point to move into our um, spoiler spoiler filled discussion? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, although it will be the opposite because I don't feel like I've adequately explained yet, you guys, why I love this movie so much. I think once we get more into the specifics, I'll be able to. Um, but what we'll do is we'll take a, a brief pause here. We'll listen to um, I don't know either either a trailer or a clip from the movie, um, and we'll come back with our spoiler filled discussion of Doctor Strange. Strange. You think you know how the world works? What if I told you the reality you know is one of many? This doesn't make any sense. Not everything does. Not everything has to. Through the mystic arts, 
we harness energy and shape reality. We travel great distances in an instant. How do I get from here to there? How did you become a doctor? Study and practice years of it. There's a strength to him. But is he ready? Be careful which paths you travel down, Strange. Stronger men than you have lost their way. I am death. In pain. You'll die protecting this world. I can't do this. There is no other way. I've spent so many years peering through time. Looking for you. What's this, my mantra? It's the Wi-Fi password. We're not savages. Okay, so we're going to dive now into our spoiler-filled discussion of Doctor Strange. Um... And much like Doctor Strange, you guys, I am anticipating that the rest of this discussion will be, you know, I'm going to try and bargain with you and I'm going to lose and I'm going to lose and I'm going to lose. But that's my secret weapon because I'm so sure I'm right that I'm going to win. Because um, you can come back a week later and re-record yourself winning. <laughs> yeah, we should. I'd, I'd like to start off by talking about the ending, which is probably a nice way to start a spoiler filled section. So... James, your website, uh, Den of Geek, um, I'm giving you entire ownership over it. Um, <laughs> Den of Geek wrote an article, uh, which I saw that you said you agreed with, that which was the final showdown in Doctor Strange is a quietly radical ending in that it is not, it's not a big load of fisticuffs, is it? It's something different. And yeah. it was hugely refreshing to me um, especially given that I think in phase one Marvel was very guilty pre-Avengers of having a really great movie, a great character uh, a plot you're interested in and ah, let's pause for some CGI fighting and... I mean for me Incredible Hulk would always be the worst example of that because the film literally comes down to a CGI cutscene where one bit of CGI eventually hits harder than the other bit of CGI. Yeah, I mean... There's no investment in that I'm, I'm not fond of the end of Iron Man. I find the... Um, thankfully, it's mercifully short in Captain America, but they fight on an airplane, and then that's kind of... Uh, thankfully, the emotional ending in that film is a lot is a lot more powerful. <laughs> in Captain America, I remember being like, oh, oh, that's it? Okay. Yeah, that's... We finished? Um, You're done. Okay. But yeah, and Ant-Man tried to subvert it slightly with changing kind of like the... the this, the, the way the fight was situated and made it and played up the comedy of it, which was um, telling for that film. Um, but this film, we see Benedict Cumberbatch go to bargain with Dormammu, played by you guys. 
Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch doing his uh, doing his Hobbit double duty again. Um, and um, yeah, he's it's it's a time loop and it's a fun little montage that in my head I was going, oh god, is this like Groundhog Day? How long has he been there? Like I feel like we're gonna find out in a sequel to Doctor Strange that that cutscene montage that we saw where Doctor Strange dies over and over again wasn't five minutes wasn't ten minutes it was days months weeks even years well, see, like podcast friend brendan Connolly was saying how he felt the one problem with the ending was that it didn't make it explicit that that had been happening like you know for decades or centuries or whatever which would have it made, made me it think more of powerful. the episode of doctor who uh you know the end of the last <laughs> season you know uh where he you know dies and over and over again bit of a spoiler for that episode sorry guys but um <laughs> i don't watch uh, tv um but yeah but you really get a sense that it is uh happening over an epically long period of time Uh, and i felt like that would have had much more of an impact but they went for humor more which you know was a different way to go i i but for me it was implied like i i i I don't know like it was one of those that i i mean groundhog day is the obvious comparison and groundhog day um always sits really awkwardly with me in in that kind of I, I i love it but what i mean is that it it always gets me thinking and i'll be thinking about the movie for quite a long time after i've watched it and um i i thought it kind of i, I thought it kind of worked in the moment that they showed it enough times that you got you got the idea that there was some form of attrition there um and for me, I walked away from it with the assumption that he had thought that he had fought against or, or tried to bargain with Dormammu for um, I, I would guess years. Um, yeah, and see, for, for it, me, the editing just made it seem like it had been maybe a couple of minutes. Like it just, it I would didn't, love to, it didn't it land, land it the way. I feel like maybe it, there were a few more times that he did that that weren't shown in the film. I, I didn't. Get, I never got the, the impression that it was years. Um, and, and I do feel like they could have given you that sense more. I wonder whether it's a case of I had, by that point in the film, I was just elated and I was willing to give it that benefit <laughs> of the doubt that I was like, that is my reading and um, I love, well, I love my reading there, so I'm just going to stick with it. <laughs> um, but it is, it's, it's a really fun scene. Again, I mean, this film feels like it's cribbing from a lot of other movies. I say Groundhog Day, it also has the Edge of Tomorrow vibe. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's similar, a lot of people saying... Go watch Edge of Tomorrow, even if you hate Tom Cruise, because you get to watch him die over and over again. Well, similar for Benedict Cumberbatch here. Uh, for at least five minutes, you'll be happy. Um, but I liked the way it kind of... It, it felt like it was cribbing from other movies, but doing it not for the sake of it, doing it in a way that was um, specific to this film. Um, and I, I mean, I think one of the things that I loved the most about this movie was the theme of time running through it um, from start to finish. Um, I liked liked Stephen Strange's emotional journey. And um, for me, it was Tilda Swinton that sold it rather than than Benedict Cumberbatch. But in that scene where she pauses time and they're looking out across the night sky with the lightning and she's talking about never being able to see past that moment and that... And and why time was important, and you know that, and why death was important, um, you know, because you know, w- without death, how can you, uh, how can you value any of the time that you spend? Um, and talking to him about um, how he'd been driven by um, 
that he'd never been driven by success, that he'd always been driven by a fear of failure. And so watching that final scene, scene that played so much into the theme of time that had been running throughout the movie, but watching this character who was driven by a fear of failure, accepting failure over and over again, potentially ad infinitum. And it, it ended up being really powerful for me, I think because it came so soon after the, so soon after the Tilda Swinton scene. Um, it was a great way of showing like how his character became uh, again ends up having to be humbled right in order to become like the hero that he becomes at the very end of that like you could argue that he's a hero when he gets the idea and agrees to do that but by him failing so many times in order to save the day um that's how he sort of sheds the last of his i don't know whatever you want to call it arrogance arrogance yeah yeah his his ego and his hubris i think that i think that definitely plays into that scene really well yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I particularly enjoyed that ending. I think you're right. I think maybe they could have leaned more on that idea, but I think maybe it will lead to a powerful moment in a sequel where kind of Stephen Strange has to explain that that's that's how he's grown so much or that's how he's... Because I imagine you want Doctor Strange to be pretty much as close to a Sorcerer Supreme as he can be moving forwards from this. Um, and I think you get the sense of a character that feels like that... Um, in in the post credit sequence, um, which we'll get to right at the end. Um, but, <laughs> Can I just say on, um, that, on that scene though, the, uh, the, the, I absolutely adored that that final scene. Um, my favorite, uh, I, I call it my second favorite um, scene in the whole movie, because for a film, like my biggest issue, and I'm sure we'll get onto it. But my biggest issue with the movie was I never really felt like I knew what the rules were. When uh, so I'd never really got a real a genuine a genuine sense of peril for him because mm-hmm. it, it always felt like he could open a portal or travel to a new dimension or I never really knew uh, he, he'd had a montage worth of learning and we, none of us knew <laughs> what he what, what it was that he'd learned so it felt like there was always something else he could do but the brilliant thing about that scene was that made total sense to me that was um, you know the, using the time portal you'd be stuck in a time loop forever but mm. um, having explained to him that Dormammu exists outside of time and therefore he could present a time loop to Dormammu it's, it's just that wonderful piece of writing where you, you actually set a rule and then use that rule in an interesting way to save the day You, I mean you say I, that like there were bits in the film there where characters were saying to him like you can't mess with the time because this will happen Oh yeah, but that but, and the, but, but then he does. immediately he immediately feels the consequences of that because the moment after that his greatest ally walks away from him for making that compromise. And again, that was something that I really loved. That in terms of the characterization throughout the movie of Strange and of Mordo was that you had a character who was built upon compromise and a character who was built upon no compromise, and um, that you you saw that play out in the final act. Um, so yeah, you'd been told that he shouldn't mess with it, and as soon as he did mess with it, yeah, he saved the day. But the other character went, "You shouldn't have done that." There's a debt that will be paid, and again, that's something that feels like it's running through the co- the current Doctor Strange comics. That every piece of magic um, carries a toll and carries a weight, and that there is a there is kind of a, almost like a cosmic debt that needs to re- be repaid eventually by Doctor Strange, <laughs> and that it, all this stuff will weigh on him heavily. And so I kind of got little echoes of that there as well um but to go back to what matt was saying a second ago about how well all the writing comes together in that final scene i think again that that goes back to a a whole heap of stuff that i loved again about 
about them tying it all together thematically with time at the end because I I loved that this was a movie where they've gone okay this is the movie it's Doctor Strange we're going to introduce this time gem in this movie because that's going to end up showing up in Infinity War that's a vital part of the larger universe building and I liked that they did a movie where the Infinity Gem was central to everything that went on, but it wasn't the MacGuffin, and they weren't chasing around after it, and there wasn't... It didn't feel like at any point in this movie that the narrative was, ah, they're all chasing around after this thing that they supposedly need (laughs) because it's going to set up a sequel. It It was just a part of the narrative, and a vital part of the narrative, and a part of the narrative that kind of... It also, you know, it weighs weighs into his final decision, which is that... He finds out basically he could effectively turn back time by getting his hands back, um, by getting and and going back to being a surgeon and having his former life, and um, that's another sacrifice that he makes at the end, which he decides not to do. So I love that they took this big MacGuffin and went, let's not make it a MacGuffin, and actually let's make it central to all of the thematic concerns that we're going to be dealing with throughout the movie. Um, that was all of the stuff that I was really loving. And it, and even then, I loved how that tied into the visual motif of the movie, that I was watching those trailers going, well, that just looks sub-inception. Um, whereas <laughs> when you actually get into the movie, the way that they manipulate the cityscapes, there is a sound effect that goes along with it that makes it sound like clockwork or like cogs turning. And so it all to me felt like the kind of, it all, all felt to me like we were watching like the inside of a watch, like his and the watch that he keeps looking at that anchors him back to Christine. That's there the whole way through as well. So yeah, I I, I loved how every element of the film seemed to be echoing back towards that that time concept. It's amazing, and, uh, isn't it? Like when that, when those trailers first came out and you, just because you saw a building starting to turn horizontally, um, yeah. it's been stuck with this inception comparison uh, right up until now it's being released. Uh, and it does the film such a disservice because you watch the film it and you realise how, how far they've gone with that concept and it is so brilliantly designed. It makes what Christopher Nolan did with it look like almost a gimmick. You know, like he well, just I mean, used it, it was like a gimmick. Piece of though. Like, let's flare. be honest. Like in Inception, it, it serves no purpose. That scene It's like it's just a cool thing that's in there. Like I, I have a I'm... low opinion of Christopher Nolan, but I think anyone, <laughs> like anyone who, like has watched Inception, can. You know, when that happens in Inception, it was like, wow, this is something we haven't seen before. And then mm. you see in, in the Doctor Strange trailer, it's like, well, we've seen that before. And then you watch a Doctor <laughs> Strange movie, it it's like, I really haven't seen anything like this at all. This is, it, it mm-hmm. looks incredible. The, the amount of work that goes into uh, all of those lines on buildings and corners suddenly appearing out of nowhere and turning around in a sort of fractal, um, you know, uh, way. Just, uh, yeah, mm. just it's so stunning on screen. I mean, the thing, the thing I like about Doctor Strange's effects is that it's a film that has finally gone like... If we're making everything CGI anyway, it doesn't have to look like reality. Mm. But I and I and I liked that. I mean, I saw I, I can't remember who this was from, but I saw someone saying that like basically that it was overly busy with CGI, but even all that CGI couldn't um, hide how hollow the movie was. And I was thinking uh, the CGI to me is. It, the, the CGI, like, it didn't feel like weightless CGI, that when those buildings are turning, you feel like the gravity feels important in all in all of those sequences, even though the city is contorting and, and twisting around them. 
Um, and again, like I said, it, like the, because the visuals kind of reflected some of some of what the movie was doing elsewhere, um, it, it all seemed to really work to me. I mean, the movie plays with space as well in the you know that they can they can zoom around the world through these little portals and that Hong Kong and London and New York are all connected. Um, <laughs> well, like key markets and, and are Nepal. connected. <laughs> yeah, London's bagged it by the end of this movie. <laughs> Which I thought was a bold decision, considering they shoot all of their movies there. But um, <laughs> I, I felt I, I felt certain that there was going to be a Thor cameo, and it was going to pass him on the tube at some point on the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I really liked I, the, the visuals. Didn't to me just seem trippy. They sell. They seemed like they had been deliberately calibrated to do some really cool stuff within the action, um, but also. Um, to choreograph the action around and I liked how different characters had different grasps over how they could manipulate the the th- the, the world um, and, and I, I know you said you felt like the, the rules were kind of a bit muddy um, for me I, I don't know I felt like okay so we got the mirror dimension where people where, which is just like our world except you can manipulate stuff without normies finding out so it's a little bit like going into Diagon Alley in Harry Potter again but um, what, what, what did that me, I, I didn't really understand when I watched it. So in the in the opening sequence, uh, the ancient one um, creates a mirror. Is it the mirror verse, mirror universe? Um, uh, when she first faces off against Cassilius, right? Um, but yeah. obviously at that time you don't know what the mirror universe is, so that was no. a little bit confusing to me. Um, and then when it appears again later, the Tilda Swinton's ancient one uh, just basically says, this is just like the real world, but you can do whatever you like in here. But what I didn't understand was, so when uh, Doctor Strange created the Mirror Universe in order to fight Cassilius, mm-hmm. why wouldn't Cassilius just leave? Or as he turns <laughs> around, you know, did he have the power to do that? When he turned well, around they and would, said... They were, chasing, they were chasing Doctor Strange and Mordo, so it wouldn't have benefited them. But then, when, but then he also turns around and says, oh, actually, this makes me stronger. So why wouldn't he have done that in the first place? Like it, it just felt like I wasn't really sure what the benefit of of any of that actually was. I mean, it does. It's used to do several things, isn't it? Like at the start, the ancient one is using it to hide them. It seems like she wants to and, hide and tra- Caecilius and track them to an extent. It feels like because when you go into the mirror universe, because you can manipulate that in a way that you can't the real world by. In the, first, in the opening sequence by the Ancient One taking them into that mirror universe, she's able to trap them and fight them and and do it in seclusion. So it kind of serves m- multiple benefits. And um, I think Doctor Strange takes them into the mirror universe later in the film to protect the real world surroundings around them so that Cassilius can't destroy the New York Sanctum. Um, but I mean, I just uh, didn't get a real a, a, a sense of what the implication was for those involved, you know, like, um, I, it just felt to me like, um, uh, it's, it's like, I'm going to create the holodeck from Star Trek and I have no idea whether or not, uh, anything you do here has any kind of real consequences in here or in the real world, um, or what the rules are for entering and leaving this, this universe. I don't know. I, it, it just, I mean, it sort of, it didn't help either that they also had an, an additional plane which was like this is where your astral bodies fight which is doesn't affect the real world except it sort of does a little bit like the scene from ghost 
<laughs> yeah exactly that was it it's like we, we we don't know actually it's really funny to think that rachel adams is in this room and there are two people fighting that she doesn't notice but oh no wait she does because now the lights are going out and there's that thing over there just moved and it just i don't know it just it just felt like um the rules are being made up as as the film went along uh, I, I'm, yeah, I mean, I guess all I can do is disagree there because I felt like the, the astral plane was kind of like... Um... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Uh, it was kind of halfway between two worlds, so you have so you can have some kind of corporeal form, but um, I, I, can under, I can understand how you can find it a little bit muddy, I guess, but I, I, I guess, I, I don't know, maybe it is just a case of I was going with the movie by that point and um i think the film relies on uh, the audience uh, um you know having watched this kind of movie before and therefore um understanding a certain amount of shorthand that might go into um you know uh, understanding what the, the consequences are or the implications within those scenes but you have to wonder how much is that the film cleverly using movie shorthand and how much is it just uh, conveniently not explaining it because <laughs> it, it doesn't really understand what they are. I mean, it, it, it's interesting that Joe mentioned Harry Potter. Or who? Wait, one of you mentioned Harry Potter. I, like, yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, because I was, I was watching this film going like, this is not so much a Marvel film as a Harry Potter film. And like it... it drags in a lot of those things like i think mainly the use of all these sort of weird artifacts to do specific things whereas magic itself was just a very general like energy bolts slash energy shields mm. yeah because that's i i was surprised that they kept kind of the yeah the the actual magic so so confined to what they did which was yeah your hands can conjure some yellow lightning and then um, we'll see what happens after that. <laughs> but there wasn't there wasn't really any spells of like conjuring things or doing anything especially beyond that, was there? It was mostly those things. And then yes, there are also these artifacts here and there that can do stuff. But that for me felt like this is an origin story. Let's do the basics. And you're also establishing all of this stuff um all of this world whilst you know and this i know is a drawback for some people whilst this sits within the wider marvel cinematic universe and for me i was less distracted by uh what are the rules of this what does that mean how does this work and more i'm excited to find out more about this kind of stuff i'm excited to see how the filmmakers continue to play with this kind of stuff i mean i'm excited to see how it interacts with other sides of the marvel universe because i was immediately thinking this uh, watching this thinking oh i want now doctor strange to meet um scarlet witch and as to find out that she's been using magic this whole time she just hasn't been realizing um <laughs> 
you know that that because essentially she's doing the same kind of thing and um yeah i want i want to see how this magical world interacts with thor's world and asgard and all of that stuff and i want to uh find out you know like what the dark universe how that interacts with the universe say like in guardians of the galaxy where there are characters like thanos and so as a as a fan of the marvel cinematic universe as someone who gets um primal nerdly excited about all of these possibilities i just i just wanted i was just excited about what this did for the universe um it yeah and more so than any other marvel movie i guess i'm a bit concerned that i can't see where those joins are yet um and i i worry that uh already with thanos somewhere in the ether in space um or you know a other dimension who knows at the moment um that already is a bit of a leap to understand where how that's going to come into play with the Avengers. So then to add this extra element or extra dimension or several dimensions or whatever it is that Doctor Strange is going to bring to, to the MCU feels like um, things can get very complicated very easily. So I, 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 I you this... have to trust the filmmakers. <laughs> I understand that, and I'm you know yeah. I'm, I'm I'm certain that they will sort it out. But at the moment, I'm I'm sort of um, almost a little bit nervous about how they're going to pull this off, um, rather than excited about seeing it all. <laughs> you see, I I think after watching this movie and then looking at kind of the the rest of the way that Marvel's Phase Three is going to unfold, um, I think. I think it's starting to become um, a little bit clearer how we are going to get from Captain America Civil War to Avengers Infinity War in that, you know, we've got Guardians of the Galaxy is next, which um, I actually imagine is going to be... I think Guardians of the Galaxy and Spider-Man next year are going to be a little bit more more self-contained than a lot of the other films, but I think Thor is going to do a lot of of that kind of heavy lifting. Doctor, you can um, you can see how Doctor Strange is definitely the missing piece in all of this to bring it all together. I guess I mean the other thing I found about this film is that um, it's very um, with Doctor Strange. It's it's, it's uh, because it's dealing. I know we mentioned it before, dealing with such high concepts. Um, they had to add a lot of humor in uh, to ground it a little bit more, and I think that's where sort of things like references to you know, jokes made about Beyonce and all that kind of stuff comes into play a little bit more because they yeah, the, yeah. the script has to sort of um, make up for that fact, right? Those jokes were terrible. The Beyonce jokes were dreadful. <laughs> but but I, I think mean, that that was a, a deliberate intention there to, to try to make it still relatable uh, at a point in the film where it, they seem to have gone completely off the, the, the map with, with you know, uh, the MCU current audience. And I've wondered that when you get to the point, sort of my other problem with the film is it, it was fun in the same way that Ant-Man was fun, but Ant-Man is so much smaller scale. And I kind of felt like with Doctor Strange, the fun tone doesn't necessarily match the stakes that are at play in this film. I didn't feel like the movie did have that tone for 95% of it. It felt like just occasionally there would be something that came in and it was almost jarring, like, ah, that's not the film I've been watching. Um, See, this is something I've spoken about with a few people, which is that, like, the film, the jokes are in there to sort of undercut it. And it, like, it's a classic novel thing of, like, here's a trope, now let's stick a punchline on the end. And it's and like you say it's a classic Marvel thing. I think it's the Marvel thing that they have 
tried to replicate from Joss Whedon. And some directors and writers are better at doing it than others. Yeah. Um, and just taking Joss Whedon's idea of let's get to these kind of big moments where you expect a classic cliche <laughs> to take place and then suddenly that cliche doesn't take place. Um, a lot of the time that works, but sometimes just take the cliche. Well, that's it's the fine. thing, isn't it? Like Doctor Doctor Strange is in is introducing so much that it you need to you need to do like the groundwork. Like you can't you can't make the jokes before you've established the reality. Hmm. And I think part of the problem with Doctor Strange is that it it undercuts itself so much. See, I I thought they were like momentary distractions. I felt like the the undercutting didn't it didn't happen with enough regularity that it that it bothered me it was kind of like there was maybe like three or four moments in the movie that i felt like well i tell ah, you they could probably have done with losing i'll tell you one sequence that i think was completely misjudged which is the sort of initial cloak of levitation thing because like what you have there is essentially benedict cumberbatch falling into a slap 16 from aladdin with the magic carpet and it's like that that whole scene could have been fine and would have worked if they'd played it straight, but instead they were like, well, who's going to believe a flying, you know, a semi-intelligent cloak? Let's put in some comedy bits. I liked it. I, that was that was another one of the bits that, that didn't feel jarring to me. That just felt like, here's a magical item and let's have fun with it. But again, it, that, it that's quite an extended sequence and it, it feels like... When you're talking about there are moments of humour sort of uh, dropped into the film that judge you out of it, I actually feel like my overall impression of the film was that it was actually very funny all the way through, or at least attempting really? to be very funny all the way through. And, uh, and, and as James says, I think that kind of undercuts the overall stakes in the game when you're talking about something that is supposed to be like hugely epic in terms of the scope of, of what they're actually dealing with and facing. Like this is end of the world stuff, um, and yet it's given the same tone as Ant Man, which was essentially um, a heist movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I I, I, and I feel like that's what's going to cause a problem later on. Is isn't so much introducing dimensions and time travel and that kind of stuff uh, with the rest of the Avengers. It's working out what that tone then becomes when when the Avengers have to deal with that. It's going to, and deal with Thanos. It's going to have to be an epic showdown. So you're going to have to not be able to get away with um, undercutting it with so much humour. I think. I don't know. I think I think Marvel at their best are entirely capable of doing that. If you look at the first half of Iron Man three, where you're watching a Tony Stark who is suffering from PTSD but is still being Tony Stark, and so you have like this scene where he's completely shaken after he's been destroyed by the villain, and his his suit has been powered down, and he's bantering with a seven year old kid. Like, that for me is what Marvel can do really well. Um, and I think they've sold it in films previously. And I think, again, it might just be a case in this movie of um, it, a lot of stuff has just worked for me a lot better than it has for other people. Because all of the cape stuff, I thought I thought it was funny, but I didn't feel like it took anything away from the stakes of the scene. Um and it didn't take anything away from the stakes of the battle either. The the bits that jarred for me were the were more the kind of like the one line gags. Like the, I mean, the Beyonce stuff is what I would point to most of all. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, 
I mean, because I, I mean, like one sequence that um, I thought works really well in terms of being funny, but again, works kind of well in the plot was it was when Wong was listening to Beyonce that I was a, I was a little bit like, eh, eh, okay, that feels like not the best joke to have. Uh, turned into a running gag but I liked Stephen Strange using his new powers to nick the to nick the books behind him um I thought that was I, I thought that was kind of smart and again um it was a, it was a funny little sequence it felt inherently marvel but it didn't feel out of place in this movie and yeah I guess this is this is one of those things we we just on the humor, um, I just I feel like you, you I feel like you've got the like the humorous scenes and the serious like car crash scenes and stuff, but they just don't fit together properly. Like the tone is not like some Marvel films. But that humor doesn't. It, did you feel like the movie was being funny in the first in in all of the hospital stuff? Um, I, all, all well, I no, felt no, to this me is like my, we were this watching... is my point though. Like the the tone isn't even. So I'm never sure, like, the bits where it's trying to be funny feel like it's knocking me over the head with, like, here are some jokes, and then the rest of it, they're trying to be serious, and it's like, it doesn't... It just makes the movie feel a bit sort of schizophrenic. Yeah. Okay, well, as I say, I think that's... We're going to have to put that down to a matter of taste, (laughs) otherwise we'll never move on. Um, But let's let's go back to that beginning stuff, um, all of the kind of pre-origin stuff in the hospital. I I, I was a little bit worried at various points in this movie that we were going to, like, we were going to have a sub-Thor movie or we were going to have a sub-Iron Man movie. And early on, I was slightly concerned when... Benedict Cumberbatch was playing Doctor House that we were going to have a um, yeah, a kind of House meets Tony Stark um, <laughs> but Did we not though? Like, that is what we yeah, got, that's exactly it? what we had, yeah We've an <laughs> added um, trait of um, being insanely good at pop music trivia it just it seemed like a <laughs> that was that was an odd one that was an odd one I'm not sure I'm it... not sure why that was introduced it was in fact strange... all of the pop music stuff just just rip it out of there <laughs> rip, rip that out of there and I'm happy I mean that's there's... all of the stuff I need to lose I feel like he's when... going to use this to save the day in some way at the end of the film I don't understand <laughs> he's going to bond with Peter Quill over it though, I was going to say in if Avengers it had been Guardians Infinity of the War. Galaxy it would have come in in the final scene oh yeah sorry in the like when I was doing the round tables he, like we were saying we were putting to Benedict Cumberbatch like is he not just a sort of Sherlock archetype here and he was going well no because like Doctor Strange is really good with people and I was like are you shitting me like have you seen how he treats everyone around him like he's not good with people he's an asshole I mean he doesn't have the social impairment that Sherlock suffers from I guess yeah but, like but he's, but he's not yeah he's not good with people he, there's yeah, no bedside like, manner there he is thinks it? I mean he's he very charismatic, but says he not. picks cases based on what is going to be impressive not yeah you know saving yeah. lives um was that not the bit Matt that you said at the start you found distracting so it's that he's on the phone when he's speeding down the road in his flashy sports car and we hear him we hear him kind of um, dismissing certain cases because he's after the cases. He doesn't want any ca- he doesn't want any surgery that is not going to be a success because he doesn't want to harm his record, and he doesn't want anything that's not sufficiently impressive. Um, or so we hear. You know, we hear a couple of things, and then we say, "Oh, um, former military guy has crushed his spine supposedly when wearing some experimental 
um, suit of armor. And if you're a Marvel fan, you're going, oh, that's Rhodey, that's War Machine. Um, and I liked that one because I thought I, I thought it was a nice way of going to you. Um, it was a subtle hint at the MCU rather than just going, as we have had Ant- in Ant-Man and Doctor Strange now, the Avengers do this, but we do, do we do something different, so let's not call them. Um, <laughs> but the, that one I quite liked because not only was it a quite su- subtle reference, but it also to me was like, okay, yeah, he's reeling off this stuff. Oh, he doesn't. He's got no time to help a guy like Rhodey, who we've seen crippled earlier in the year, and we would really like a super surgeon to save him. So for me, it was kind of like a nice little moment of, oh yeah, this guy is a jerk. I I, I have one issue with this. Uh, it might even not be an issue. It might be a question to you guys. But um, uh, I does that match the continuity of this film? And the reason I say yeah. that is because Stephen Strange's name is mentioned in Winter Soldier as someone that the Hydra yeah. has on their watch list, right? So I kind of yeah, assumed yeah. that this origin story would, would kind of take place before, you know, without explicitly saying so, take place before the events of Winter Soldier. And then he reaches the level of Sorcerer Supreme by the end of the movie and we're all caught up. But, but and no one's any the wiser. But by having that um, reference in there, that kind of throws it a little bit for me. I mean, for me, like, that Hydra list was just people who might become a threat. So, obviously, yeah. you could say, well, he's like a genius-level surgeon. Like, he's he's someone who's got, you know, influence and abilities that might become a problem. Yeah, and also it felt like that not any old bloke could knock on the door at... Um, what's it called, Kamataj, and say, hey, I'm here to learn, um, and that they accept you, they have to see certain traits in you. Yeah. So that's what I'd always read that Winter Soldier line as. Like, he could, they could have quite as easily have said Peter Parker, um, who yeah, had like if been bitten by the spider. If they'd been doing that scene, like, pre-Iron Man and identified Tony Stark as, like, a genius inventor who might be a problem, I'd have still... Yeah, it. I can understand that. I don't know. I, I don't know if I buy into the genius surgeon. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like that might be right. a little bit of a reach. It's, it's almost like having your cake and eating it, isn't it? It's like we wanted to I drop mean, a reference for the fans in Winter Soldier, and now we're dropping a reverse reference to Rhodey and Doctor Strange. See, yeah, well, I mean, the rea- okay, the reality is they just threw that in as an Easter egg, and yeah. like, there's no concern for continuity, really. Yeah, but, that was the only thing. I just I, found it a bit distracting in in those terms. Yeah, I do. I do agree that like bad uses of continuity are distracting and pull you out of the film and should best be avoided. So I can but see I, where you're coming from, but it didn't. I like it me because in in Wind Soldier, it was just that's a name, and um, I think there's a reason we haven't seen Doctor Strange pop up as a cameo in other movies because I remember I think it was at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy we were all convinced there was going to be a Benedict Cumberbatch cameo because he'd It'd been announced been cast, as yeah. Doctor Strange that week. And I'm, I've been stunned that we hadn't seen Doctor Strange at any point up until now. But I think they made a conscious decision that they wanted that character to be introduced in this movie. That they didn't want him to have discovered this part of the world until this movie. Um, and yeah, it, it, I, I think the timeline works. If you, if you make that logical leap, Matt, that back in Winter Soldier, it was a person who they, they anticipated could be a problem... Um, which is uh, as a nice wink to the fans. And then you go, okay, so the start of this movie is occurring just after the events of Civil War. The time in which he's recovering is kind of the four or five months between the release of those two films because they tend to happen in real-world time. 
and then kind of the time that he's training is kind of the the gap in between now and the next Marvel movie, which I think is it is Guardians of the Galaxy, isn't it? In in May. Yeah, if you yeah, if if you like slam your hand down on that jigsaw piece puzzle to make it fit, it works. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I do wonder, like, how how long do you guys think this film takes place over? Because they're like, I didn't really get a sense that. Again, it's something like one of my problems with the film is that it really skips over its beat, so it like goes. I'm doing. Oh, you know, I'm doing the maths. Yeah, James, we're doing this. So. We're doing that. We're doing the origin bit. Here's where he gets humble, and it's like it felt. Like, there's never a, enough time lingering with the characters to feel like they've changed. It's just people so saying, I like, feel like oh, no, you, you have to Civil change. Civil War happens so in May. Sorry? Civil War happens in May. <laughs> so in May 2016, this movie starts. And then he gets in his accident and he's recovering for a few months. And it takes us up to late October, November 2016. And then, then the rest of the movie occurs vaguely over the course of a year. Over a year, right? Because I and then I and then like and then he's in a... and then he's also in the he's also in the time loop for years as well. Because there's a, <laughs> a moment where um, uh, he you know Tilda Swinton's ancient one asks him how he became a doctor, and he says you know years of practice and hard work or whatever, right? And yeah. the implication is that's what you're now going to have to do to in order to become a sorcerer. And then I didn't really get a sense that he you know I felt like becoming a doctor probably was a lot easier it was a lot harder than than becoming a sorcerer of the mystic arts right <laughs> I mean, i'm not yes. saying that medical school isn't difficult but you'd think that harnessing the power of interdimensional travel would take a, few, a bit longer than the space of the year that you've especially because he starts yeah. off like very far behind everyone else like he's literally unable to do the most basic first piece of magic and then well i yeah I, there was the implication especially with the the way that he was able to use the eye of agamotto that he was in some way kind of you know preternaturally ta- talented at well, this well they do they say it they say you've got a natural gift for it and how fast he reads all of the books and how dedicated he is to it and um so I, I could kind of, I could kind of buy all that, but what I, what I did think as well was that when he was fighting with Caecilius and when he was, you know, stumbling through the movie, he was still a bit crap at it. Like he, he was on the defensive against Caecilius. He was only able to save himself because of the cloak. Um, he was using his brain to think around things, so he was able to beat Caecilius's goon in the astral plane because he thought about using the pads on his body. But I think that, um, that works really well that... in, the, in the whole way, doesn't it? Because I think the it, it fits in that theme as well with the fact that he has his hands crippled. So he's not a physical fighter in any way, which is one of the reasons yeah. why it works so brilliantly that at the end he uses his wits yes. to defeat Dormammu yes. um, rather than you know a big CGI explosion. But um, yeah. uh, and, and some of my favourite scenes are him running along, trying to open a portal with his fingers, and it not quite sparking up in the right way. And uh, you know, I thought that was quite a clever, funny thing to to watch. Or the bit where he creates the two shields, and one of them kind of fizzles yes, out. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> See that stuff. That, yeah. I think that was quite clever. But I did wonder that actually, um, now that we're talking about it, was there precedent in the comics? for him to um, be destined to have this role or is it all training? Because in the, uh, again, going back to the 1978 TV movie, there's no training whatsoever. And he is, it's shown that it's in his lineage and he is just destined to become the Sorcerer Supreme. Well, I'd have to guess, James, that he starts off the comics 
as the Sorcerer Supreme, right? Like, that's how it works. Uh, yeah, like, Doctor Strange is way out of my comfort zone when it comes to Marvel. Well, it just seems like with these Marvel heroes, it's like uh, normally, you know, that were created 50 years ago that they have, like, two pages of origin story and now they are the, the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, I but think... I don't, yeah, I, I don't think know. he started out as, a, like, a co-headline on a book and they told his origin a few issues in, maybe... Was it was it not Strange Tales with Nick Fury? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, that you yeah that it was you a had split me reading book. the other week. <laughs> yeah, um, I think we should probably start talking about some of the things that we uh, I I don't know maybe pick out a couple of specific things that we really liked about the movie. I mean, we've talked about all of us kind of unilaterally really liking the action and the visuals, um, and I think that extends to. Um, uh, just, uh, I, I mean, beyond just the action, I thought it was a it was a pretty movie. I think Doctor Strange's costume is uh, gorgeous. We said that when we saw the first still of it, and I love the shot at the end where he's looking through the window out of Bleecker Street. And um, I thought, um, I, as someone who has been skeptical about Scott Derrickson based on some of his other movies that I've seen, <laughs> um, I thought he he put together a really really good looking movie and paired it with a Michael Giacchino score that is <laughs> the again the best score that Marvel have had yeah, since I was the about Avengers. to say like I'm the kind of person who like for me movie scores like you know some people are really into movie scores and for me it's just like the best scores are the ones you don't notice but this one I think is legitimately brilliant in like bringing a, a different feel to the movie mm. overall like it complemented the aesthetics in a way that I think most Marvel scores are just like generic, orchestral, Alan Silvestri, whatever. It doesn't like they don't even register with me. Yeah, I mean, I don't, one... I don't want to mark myself out, James, as some kind of Michael Giacchino super fan. <laughs> but, but my wife did walk down the aisle to a piece of Michael Giacchino music at our wedding, so <laughs> I was I'm, I'm pretty in pretty in the bag for this guy, and he yeah, I thought he really delivered. And the closing credits music is um, probably the best since Iron Man three. Can you dig it? Which is probably still a standout for Marvel. Um, yeah, so I, I liked that there was I liked that there was some of this artistry being brought to the Marvel movies after they've been so, you know, this idea that they're all cut out of the same template and it's producer driven. And I think to an extent that's true because I think there's a way that Kevin Feige can help Scott Derrickson make a much better movie than Scott Derrickson's made before, or take J- James Gunn's lo-fi aesthetic and t- and help him translate that into a um, multi-million dollar movie. Um, but yeah, I liked that this was a movie that had had that stuff in it, and you you know, because I'm I'm sure the DC movies can say you know like oh yeah, Hans Zimmer has done this work, or we've you know <laughs> we've hired this this DP or whatever, and I, I thought it was nice that 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 Marvel were finally going okay, that's a criticism we've been getting that everything's a little bit cookie cutter. Let's make it feel a lot more distinct, and it did that on on a number of levels. I thought I felt mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean, it, I. I'm not a um, a good, uh, I'm a terrible score guy uh, in terms of those yeah, things standing out for yeah. me really bad. But on that note, one of the things I did want to talk about um, is, uh, again, at a time when Marvel movies are, uh, are being branded as being very formulaic and there's very little that we've, we haven't seen before, how amazing was that fight scene when time is running backwards? Yeah. Like, what a <laughs> oh, clever yeah. original 
way to have an action sequence uh, in a film that i have just haven't seen anything like it before yeah and like it's unusual as well for marvel films to have the third like the final action scene be the really big interesting one and i think they completely nailed it this time but again it if, because it's not because it's not the focal point of that third act it's able to do something a little bit more clever and I mean, the three big action sequences, we got, you know, you've got the one at the start with Tilda Swinton, you've got the second one where the Mordo and Strange are being chased through the mirror universe and, and that one at the end. Um, they all felt great and distinct in different ways and they all felt like they were um, they were serving a crucial point in the storytelling at that point, at that point in the movie as well. And mm-hmm. um, I think using the Eye of Agamotto that way to turn back time before you go into the into the time into the dark dimension and use the time loop is again it's just there to to show you as an audience or remind you as an audience this is a thing that this thing can do whilst unit using it in ingenious ways showing Mads Mikkelsen getting bricked back over into a wall <laughs> or seeing um one of the goons be like sucked up into a fish tank um and the fact that it was happening in Hong Kong as well felt visually distinct because as much as i loved the the kind of for me the the uh it's always nice when you see london on screen uh, and seeing london in that first action sequence um marvel have done that a few times now and uh, london is becoming more and more of a fixture in blockbuster filmmaking um <laughs> thanks so, to uh, healthy and, tax breaks and several well, movie and, studios and, and thanks to harry potter basically to go back to it <laughs> who trained up a generation of filmmakers and brought investment into that area of the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, it um, did, like like I made the joke earlier, which, you know, might have been cut out, who knows, but like the, the, it was a little bit cynical to me that they were like, we've got three sanctums. They're in America, China and London. And it's like, these are like your key markets. Like you're just flattering <laughs> us now. I do like that though. <laughs> Like, well, I like that you give it a couple of years. Give it a couple of years, right. there'll be one in Australia. Ah, oh, uh, very good. Um, uh, was there anything else that you guys particularly liked, particularly want to draw attention to before we bring this chat to a close? Oh, can we please talk about Benedict Cumberbatch's hands where each finger was another hand? <laughs> God, yeah, that was great, wasn't it? It reminded me of the um, the, the the single greatest moment in, Su- in Suicide Squad, which James pointed out, where they kind of the hands link around each other and Enchantress comes out um but yeah but <laughs> that was that's wise um but yeah the the, the hands was a trippy and cre- in fact that whole sequence though that whole trippy sequence is amazing yeah when the camera comes out of benedict Cumberbatch's mouth repeatedly as well mm. so so i would say anyone who enjoyed that should go and have a look uh, look on youtube for an animator called syriac c-y-r-i-a-k because that hands growing out of a small and like growing into hands thing is his stock in trade like uh, just seeing that sequence made me think i wonder if whoever designed that had seen syriac because it's such like it's such a lift off what his work is again if that's a case of scott derrickson cribbing from someone who's done something great and doing it himself but in a way that feels natural to the movie he's making great mm-hmm <laughs> Um, yeah. Oh yeah, like you know, all artist theft or whatever. But I think I'm just saying, if you if you enjoyed that sequence, you know, there's a mm. ton of similar stuff that's out there. I like how far they pushed that whole psychedelic sense of um, of, of that character and and those sort of you know trips. 
uh, again, not to go on about it, but the um, uh, the nineteen seventies movie. He basically travels to astral planes on disco nights. <laughs> um, um, it, I mean, it's it's just incredible. But they kind of keep the same sense in this movie, and it's it's much more you know uh, a brilliant visual explosion of CGI, and it's very very cleverly done. But it still feels very very um, I don't know drug inspired. Mm. Right, like, and and you even have that reference where Stanley's reading <laughs> yeah. the doors of perception. Like, cameo. It's, it's that was just, a good cameo. Like, I, I like cameo. the fact that they even they they sort of like you know make a sly reference to the fact that this is a bit druggy. A bit in, in that regard, it reminded me a little bit of The Matrix as well. It was almost like okay, he's taken the oh god, show my nerd cred now. I'm going to show myself up. Does he take the blue pill? He takes one of the pills. But I I liked that the, the whole movie had that sense for me of kind of the Alice in Wonderland kind of feel. That, um, and that's why I I thought the movie was paced incredibly well. Um, I loved the fact that it, it never really seemed to pause to take breath. It was just constantly you were rolling from one thing into, into another. And so after that montage of him learning his powers, basically... The movie doesn't stop. It goes from one sequence into the next, into the next, into the next, into the next. There's no time jumps. You're just watching Stephen Strange go from one situation to another. And now he's in Hong Kong. And now he's in the Mirror Universe. And now he's in New York. And now he's doing. Now he's back in his hospital. And they all lead one into another. And I, I, I really felt like I wasn't able to stop and pause and see the Marvel template or to see even the act breaks or the, you know. Uh, especially after after the first act or after the training montage, I felt like the movie just it was like a snowball effect after that. And for me, it felt like a great a great drugs trip that you were kind of like falling deeper and deeper into. But in that, it felt like Alice falling down the rabbit hole, basically, and um, the fact that there are some Matrixy um, visuals in here as well. I mean, was, this, um, this felt, is a... feels appropriate. Th- Sorry, was I stepping on your conclusion? No, 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 no. I was, I was winding down. <laughs> I was going to say, like, it. One of the things I made this point on Twitter actually. One of the things that bothers me sometimes about, like, saying, "Oh, this is very drug inspired," like, the especially in the sixties and seventies, there were people saying of like the Marvel artists, like, "Oh, these guys must have been on drugs because look at the shit they came up with." And the thing is, like, the principal creators of Doctor Strange where Stan Lee and Steve Ditko and like Stan Lee as much as he tried to be cool was just like I think he was probably in his 40s by the time he did this by the time he came up with Doctor Strange and Steve Ditko was an objectivist who I can't imagine going anywhere near drugs (laughs) and it's like it seems very lazy sometimes to say oh this is like this is a druggy sequence because it's like it's well, all the Beatles' fault. It's all the Beatles. Oh fault. sure, yeah. Like Scott yeah, Derrickson yeah, certainly thinks thinks it is, but yeah. I just feel like imagination can exist without chemicals. <laughs> like oh yeah, absolutely possible. can. But I I do wonder whether a lot of that is drawn back to the Beatles, though. You know, you you're there's a yeah. reason that they said they were the Walrus, and that was Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, wasn't it? So. Um, <laughs> Uh, um, I wonder whether the, it's it's maybe a fallout from a lot of creativity during that era. There is kind of like just an inbuilt assumption because some of the greatest creativity was drug fueled. But also, like it's not just you know the creators themselves don't have to partake um, in illegal substances mm. to pander to an audience that might be more you know wanting to consume <laughs> psychedelics. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, yeah I, should, Dr. I should, Strange I should was on say, Pink Floyd's album, second album, wasn't he? So <laughs> he was obviously. And I should say, guy. after comparing this movie to a great drugs trip, I've never had one, so I'm just, <laughs> just, I'm just running on an assumption. They've there. all been my, bad, I, all of them. Yeah, my <laughs> my idea of a great drugs trip is a night in with a I don't know a cup of coffee and magical mystery tour. <laughs> night yeah, nurse. night nurse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did used to love Calpol. Um, (laughs) okay well um, shall we um, bring this discussion to a close by talking about the two uh, closing credit sequences Um, start off with the first one which is as we said probably a cutscene from Thor Ragnarok and um, yeah so we've got we've got um, Doctor Strange having a conversation with Thor uh, where they're talking as if Loki is sat there next to Thor but it never cuts to Loki so I wondered whether maybe like the footage hadn't been completely finished yet or something <laughs> I don't know well they were saying like and you come here with your brother and we've seen from set pictures of Thor and Ragnarok that Thor and Loki are together in New York yes I found it very uh, hard to to really follow that scene because in the screening that I was in everyone was whooping and yeah. cheering at the size of Thor <laughs> um, and the fact that it was in, it, it, to the extent that I wanted to be like you know how these films yeah. work this always happens why are you so like just shh it's the same listen. as the people who leave after the first one you're like no <laughs> Um, so yeah so I, uh, I, I I did follow then that um uh, so they mention that they're in search of their father, Odin, and we know that he is um, on Earth uh, for Thor Ragnarok, don't we? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's difficult to understand how Loki plays into that because obviously with where he uh, stands at the end of Dark World, um, it's interesting, it'll be interesting to find out how he and Thor team I, up. Can I, I make guess. my world, my, my Marvel predictions of, of, of my plot prediction for Thor Ragnarok based on this scene? Go for it. I think this scene is early second act stuff. I think the first act is Thor gets to Asgard and discovers that Odin is not Odin. He is, in fact, Loki. And that Loki has compromised the security of the realm. And that Asgard is invaded by Kate Blanchett's character, who then (laughs) strips Thor of Mjolnir and banishes he and Loki down to Earth again. Loki tells Thor that Odin is down on Earth, so they're looking for him. That's when they find Doctor Strange. And um, Odin, we think, is going to be stuck on Earth as some kind of doomsday preacher rattling down the street saying the end is nigh. Um, And that Odin is going to tell them where to go after that. And that's probably going to send them to the planet where Hulk is fighting. And that basically the movie is going to be a road trip movie where Thor picks up different buddies along the way on his journey back to Asgard for the big battle at the end. And we're going to be almost like learning about Thanos and the Infinity Stones as... Thor makes his way back to Asgard. That's my guess. Yeah, I sort of wonder if if like Ragnarok is actually going to happen quite early, and yeah, very it's possibly. Gonna, yeah, it's going to involve like the Asgardian gods being sent to Earth without their memories, and then sort of because we've only seen Thor and Loki in their like in civilian costumes. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if maybe like they awaken. And they're looking for Odin to try and, you know, put Asgard back together, maybe. Mm. Um, the two things it, that it doesn't necessarily square with for me are they've got this dangling thread of Loki having impersonating Odin, Odin mm-hmm. from the end of the last film. And it feels like they're going to shuffle that off very quickly. Um, 
and also like the Hulk's appearance in it, it just it feels like that scene makes it feel like it's going to be a very Earth centric movie. No, you didn't listen to anything I just said. I uh, know, no, I'm <laughs> I'm just saying like based on my interpretation of it, it just. I, think I can see no organic there. I think pro- you're watching progress. the single Earth sequence. You're going to get them down to Earth, they're going to find Doctor Strange, they're then going to find Odin, and then they're going to set off back into space. Yeah. That's because uh, I think I think you're watching very early second act stuff, and I think Hulk is going to come into things at about the midpoint. Um, just my guess, but I could <laughs> be wrong. <laughs> I don't think it is going to be very Earthbound at all. I think it's going to be mostly out and about in the I, I think it's interesting that um, when they first announced that Thor Ragnarok was going to be a buddy movie with Thor and Hulk there's been very little mention of Hulk ever since then like I, everything that we know about uh, Hulk's appearance in this movie has kind of been speculation mm-hmm. right uh, and there's been a lot of on set photos with uh, Loki and uh, sorry Tom Henderson and Chris Hemsworth but not really much in the way of how Hulk fits into that. I think again because if most of the Hulk stuff is in space, that's probably stuff that they've shot in studio rather than out in like. I mean, they do as well. Marvel Marvel tends to keep their third act stuff far away from any promotional material, don't they? Like even trailers rarely go anywhere near it. But they, again, so third act stuff exactly, and and your your guess, Joe, uh, that sounds probably you know that's what kind of I had in mind as well. But that isn't necessarily a film that we were yeah. kind of yeah they were they were saying a Thor and yeah they were saying a Thor and Hulk buddy road trip movie, but actually, actually. If, if they're not actually meeting until like the close to the third act, then that's not really the sex. Not a bad thing at all, but it's just, it's interesting that it feels like that information has been officially um, you know. Uh, I still think we're going to meet Hulk, you know, late in the first half, of the, late in the first half of the movie, maybe forty-five minutes to an hour in. I think it's going to, I think it's going to be a road, it is going to be a road trip movie. We're going to be journeying across the universe. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a Guardians of the Galaxy crossover at some point in there as well. I just hope um, they have room for Cat Dennings. Uh, I don't. I re- well, maybe actually they're down. They're down. In fact, if when we meet Odin, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Cat Cat Dennings plays into that. <laughs> that seems like if he's playing a doomsday preacher, that is an opportunity for fun. <laughs> are they going to address Jane Foster? Uh, she dumped him. Uh, That's are it. they going to be split up because yeah. the the he she's not going to be in this film. I don't know. She. I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm surprised he wasn't split up by the end of Thor two. Like, it yeah. was a very odd decision to put them together, knowing that she was not interested in coming back for the second one, or, or a third. Or in Age of Ultron, following through with what they thought we thought they were going to do, which was saying <laughs> they'd split up. Yep. Um, okay, so that was the first post credit sequence. The second one is setting up a Doctor Strange sequel, it seems like, um, in that we see Baron Mordo has uh, taken it upon himself to be almost like a religious zealot, um, he has uh, decided that magic should not be in so many hands. So many people should not have the access to it because the person he respected the most used it irresponsibly in his view. Um, so other people shouldn't either. And you would imagine that that is going to lead him back in a path to taking magic away from people, fighting other magical beings and um, eventually finding his way back to Stephen Strange. But I again wonder whether Alma also may be interacting with some other magical-inspired characters in the in the Marvel Universe, like maybe Scarlet Witch. <laughs> um, what do you think, you guys? Is it- it- I feel like that scene troubled me a little bit because um, 
it seemed as though he picked on so Benjamin Bratt's character is Pangborn. Jonathan yes. Pangborn, right? yeah. Pangborn. Yes. Jonathan Pangborn, yeah. Um, and you only got the sense in the movie that the only way in which he was in any way a sorcerer or using magic was to overcome his own paralysis. So it it almost for that post uh, credit scene to make sense to me, it almost would have made sense to show him cheekily using it in another way or something. It doesn't really feel like he uh, that Mordo accomplished anything. By I mean, in fairness, like Mor- Mordo's feeling is that the use of magic has a price so selfish use of magic especially needs to be rebalanced before anything bad happens i think that's a it's a tricky positioning though to say that that is a selfish use of magic well i know it's purely selfish like he you know he got dealt something you know a condition through the natural order and he's counteracting it through magic like it's as well as well, it felt to me just like the easiest example of someone else that you'd seen in the movie that has magic that has has been using magic. And for me, again, I I think the the character arcs of Strange and Mordo in this movie are really delicately handled. And I think Mordo um, is um, in, and this I'm really fingers crossed here is potentially a more interesting character than Stephen Strange um, <laughs> and that's not something you get to say very often I was very worried that Mordo was going to be ally of Strange here and then turning villain in the Loki mould and I was worried that Baron Mordo was going to come off as sub Loki and Chewie is able to deliver a performance that is <laughs> so <laughs> yes uh, is so specific um, that I uh, that I I felt like he was able to distance himself there, um, and also the arc of the character going from a little bit of a tricky guy to a guy who is going to go full on villain or or at least release it, reveal his villainy. Whereas Mordo is just a good guy who doesn't believe that you should compromise uh, I mean, because I, that's the, way, that's the way of, he's been learning for so long. I do sort of think they like the growth wasn't very organic like he just flips like in that oh, final really? no, like because he spends the whole movie defending the ancient one to Stephen Strange and then the ancient one kind of is uh, has her revelatory discussion with Strange rather than Mordo and Strange has to then but there's a the bit Strange as well has... where when the ancient one promotes essentially uh, Strange to source as well cream, yeah you just get that really quick shot of Mordo shooting her a look as if to say like you know this is this, all the work that I have done and I'm still and he has the, the new guy has been promoted but, and, and he know? has so much belief in her that when that happens he doesn't really question it um, and he's had so much belief in her previously in the movie that he doesn't even want Strange to question what she says because to question the ancient one is to be Caecilius. Um and so yeah, I, I just I loved that arc for Mordo and uh, it made me want to see more of this guy that was driven to that was driven to that point that we see him at the end of the movie. And it felt it felt completely natural. And in fact I, I think you could use him in a Doctor Strange sequel. I think um, in equal measure, you could use him in a different kind of team movie in the same way that Loki was used in the Avengers, because I think that character going around kind of taking magical powers away from people could just as much extend to taking away powers from char- from other characters that they haven't earned. So a character like Tony Stark, does he deserve to wield the, the Iron Man suit? 
Um, did, does Steve Rogers deserve to have the super soldier serum? And a guy with magic, you don't know what kind of, uh, you know, how that power would extend. It did, so yeah, that was another area of the film that I was just really like. It did sort of interest getting. me how much they changed that character from the comics because in in the comics, like Mordo is essentially what Kaecilius was in this. Like he's a fanatic, yeah, and yeah. someone who you know makes deals with Dormammu and stuff. Uh, and mm. they they did retcon. I think oh, did they retcon or was it early established? Again, my Doctor Strange knowledge isn't the best, but he the current continuity is that he trained with Strange and they were rivals. And you know, this is something Derrickson said he wanted to get specifically away from uh, was the idea of them as like jealous brothers. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I, I but I I think he does get away from that. With, oh yeah, with yeah, yeah. Itself. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I'm so, just saying, but, I found that an interesting departure from the comics, and it's one of those things where that shows like you can deviate from the source material and still end up with something interesting at the end of it. Like it doesn't, you don't, ha- yeah, you don't have to stick to the text necessarily. Hmm. Um. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. Let's hope that Baron Mordo can can become as interesting a villain as Loki. Um, because I I think the potential's there. Can I just say as well at the end of that very the, I really loved and it's such a stupid small thing that everyone would have picked up on, but I really loved the fact that that scene, post credit scene, starts with the grindstone that looks like yes. a portal opening. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's such great. a nice touch. <laughs> I just want to say as well, anyone who uh, is upset about changes to Baron Mordo, like I'm I'm surprised we haven't seen more people upset that he was cast. With a black actor, given how many people were upset at the idea of Spider-Man being cast that way, surprising, isn't it? Wait, were were people? I've I've not seen any Baron Mordo. No, yeah, exactly. Is that <laughs> happening? Exactly, it's not happening. It's not. Uh. So, what's Baron Mordo in the comics? Then I don't understand. He's he's just, just a white. White. <laughs> like in the comics, he's a Baron. He is Baron Mordo. He's Transylvanian. Selective nerd rage. They're only outraged of characters. Yeah, so people are only outraged of characters they hurt, with, basically, right? Because heaven forfend they identify with someone who doesn't have the same skin colour as them. Yeah, well, you've got the angry nerds are too busy being with feminism right now <laughs> to be uh, angry at black people. <sighs> ask, ask us about our feminist agenda. <laughs> um, James, comic book recommendations. Hit me. <laughs> uh. I mean, the one, it's kind of tough for this because I don't really feel like I know any of the 60s slash 70s, whatever it was, like the early Doctor Strange stuff well enough to recommend it. Um, yeah. I want to recommend you only things I've read. Um, but in that case, I think they might be quite similar. Uh, so either way, the the two comics I'm going to recommend you are Doctor Strange Season 1 which is a kind of version of his origin, like a modern update. Similar to X-Men season one that you recommended previously. Yeah. (laughs) And the other one is uh, Doctor Strange, the Oath, which is by Brian K. Vaughan and Marcus Martin. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, That was, that's a small uh, mini series that uh, it's got nightness in it, actually. So, Ah, you know, there's a tie in there, but, um, These are two Doctor Strange comics that I've read and enjoyed, which I can't say there are a ton of those around. Right, okay. So. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, what what I might do, James, is see, because I've only got your recommendations and not Seb's, 
Matt, I'm assuming you haven't got some Doctor Strange comics in your back pocket to... Uh, no, 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 but I will send you the 70s movie in the post. <laughs> oh, excellent. Oh, I can't wait for that. Well, I tell you what, if that if that is if I'm able to watch that before the mini-sode, I will talk about that briefly on the mini-sode as well because I would very much like to watch that. And I will also um I'm like I said I'm reading the current Doctor Strange run, so maybe I'll um go back and reread the first couple of issues of that and talk about those in the podcast as well because um they're a comic. They're they're a co- that's a comic that I have been very much enjoying in which Doctor Strange is the lead character. Yeah. So I tell you one thing: why one not thing, throw like, it in anyone there to listening talk about to this who well. wants to go and read the original Doctor Strange origin, uh, Strange Tales one hundred and fifteen. Like I I haven't there actually read that ever, so I'm going to go and do that this week myself. Oh, but that's, okay. that's where you need to go and look. Right, well, uh, hey, maybe there's a bunch of diverse stuff for me to. After all that, there's a load of stuff that I can read <laughs> uh, ahead of. Um, ahead of the next podcast. Um, But we'll move on now to our final section, which is the pitch. Um, And this is a fairly simple one. Um, Guys, I want you to pitch me one scene that you would like to see involving Doctor Strange in the next Avengers movie. So, I mean, I I already talked about mine. I'd quite like to see him with Scarlet Witch digging into how her powers work in relation to his. Um, But yeah, one scene that you would like to see involving Doctor Strange in the next Avengers movie. And James, I will come to you first. (laughs) Well, probably the first comic I ever read with Doctor Strange in was uh, from a series called Secret Defenders, which is (laughs) a group of characters where essentially he would gather them gather a different bunch of marvel heroes every issue to solve a threat that he'd come across so i would like to see in an avengers movie doctor strange gathering the secret defenders which would be a team mostly comprised of sort of c-listers who have absolutely no reason to be hanging out with each other uh in the comics i think the defenders were mostly I think it was Ghost Rider, Silver Surfer, The Incredible Hulk, and Namor the Submariner. So I would like to see him off leading his own squadron of those guys. Oh, James, you were so close. <laughs> you were so close. If you just said, and so he goes off and finds Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Daredevil, forget Iron Fist, nah. and he brings them into the movie and said, Doctor Strange is the reason we get the Marvel crossover that we all want. <laughs> I see, uh, like... I. <sighs> Kevin Feige is very diplomatic about that, but it's never going to happen because <laughs> the Marvel movies. I think the best the Marvel ch- movies are merchandise adverts, and there's no merchandise you can sell kids that has like Luke Cage in, or like there's no Jessica Jones no, action figure with neck snapping action. I honestly think the best chance we've got is for there to be like one big earth shattering event and we cut cut to a montage of people watching it happen from around the world. So we like cut to Stellan Skarsgård <laughs> and then we cut to Samuel L. Jackson and then we cut to Charlie Cox um, just looking on. And so you don't even have to have him in his Daredevil costume. It's just oh, okay, maybe, so yeah, maybe out of costume, because otherwise all that's going to yeah. happen is the kid's going to see Daredevil and he's going to go and watch Daredevil and then it's going to be like, mummy, why is the red coming out of his ears? <laughs> his eyes it's always the eyes yeah. James um, open goal for you Matt here <laughs> um, you're, you're batting you're batting on behalf of Seb as well um, oh god the pressure 
Yeah. Okay, thinking about it. So, you know what? Thinking about the, so the next Avengers movie, Infinity War, I still have in mind that Tony Stark's vision that Scarlet Witch gave him is going to come true. And we're going to see a completely devastated Avengers at some point in those two movies. Mm-hmm. So... I'm assuming if that happens, that Doctor Strange will end up doing some kind of time reversal thing at some point to set things right. And what I'd like to see, Mm. if that is the case, is him uh, putting back the original timeline in and then fixing those small niggling continuity errors in the (laughs) all along the way. He will be able to um, make Mark Ruffalo replace Ed Norton. Uh, in the first film, um, what, what? he can he can wreck on the mention of his own name in Winter Soldier <laughs> because that still bugs me. Um, explain why Amer- uh, why Captain America's uh, shield shows up in Iron Man two. Just those little things that just don't quite you know that, that, that niggle away well, at me. So and, that's and what I like cru- to do. I like him just crucially a, a fine iron. Crucially, the whole move time, around right? the Agent Carter short. That's the one that bugs me. Oh yes, short so Agent even, Carter. Yeah, even better. Yeah, just just, so just, just iron out all those wrinkles. Will they explain why why he... Nick Fury told Tony Stark he wasn't eligible to be in the Avengers? Good point. Okay. Yeah, well, it's going to do all of those things, isn't it? And it's if if you can also um, Peggy Carter uh, tell us the exact the point at which Dominic Cooper turns into John Slattery, that would be useful. <laughs> <laughs> We're all waiting. He got hit by, like, a gun at some point and just changed his face into Slattery. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Matt wins the pitch. because. <laughs> <laughs> He's found a, he's found a way to solve continuity, whereas James found a way to not bring Charlie Cox into Avengers: Infinity War. So, um, yeah, so Matt and it, by extension Seb wins the pitch this You're week. Welcome, so, congratulations, Seb. Hopefully, that makes up for James mocking Doctor Who in the middle of this podcast, <laughs> which I'm sure you were listening to at home and twitching uncontrollably. Um, Matt, thank you very much for joining us You're for this welcome. episode. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, is there um, anything you'd like to plug or anywhere you'd like our listeners to go? Maybe find you on Twitter or Oh, elsewhere? yeah, sure. Uh, so I am at Marzi Panic. Um, uh, figure it out. And, um, <laughs> and if you want to read an occasional review that goes up once a week or once every fortnight or so, uh, you should go and visit theshiznits.co.uk because that's where um, uh, me and a couple of other people I know post occasionally interesting things. And uh, has been an excellent movie site for a number of years now. Yeah, it it absolutely has. Always a top source of parody posters. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Photoshopery is another level. (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay um, well that is it for this week's show um, if you're enjoying the show then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM or your podcast app of choice um, and support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe uh, you can find more episodes of cinematic universe at cinematicmultiverse.com um, just to give you an idea about our upcoming schedule there is a Luke Cage bonus episode coming soon I'm hoping to record that in the next couple of days um, with a couple of uh, returning guests which should be very exciting um, and then Seb and I are going to be at Thought Bubble the comics convention in Leeds we're hoping to be able to get some extra material on uh, our Thought Bubble episode uh, but yes yeah, so Luke Cage Thought Bubbly stuff another movie and hopefully you've just heard a minisode and if you haven't I've been lazy. Sorry. Um, I will do that. <laughs> um, you can get in touch with us um, on Facebook, on Twitter, at CU underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in a couple of days, I think. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. 
Officially, I was dead for two minutes. But when you cross over, time stops. Take it from me. Two minutes in hell is a lifetime. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Constantine? Constantine? I don't know, the Keanu Reeves movie. We'll figure it out on the episode.